What's going on, everybody? And finally, welcome back to the Hoops Corner. I'm your host, Peter Tran, and on the line, this guy, I think he just has a permanent residency in the doghouse. Josh Cohen, how you doing? We are back, baby! Wow, so so intense. And he's muted. I like it. <laughs> Gotta bring the energy. It's like two months worth of energy is pent up for this moment. It's not muted. <laughs> 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 what is what, going on? What the hell just happened? <laughs> you have a cat? <laughs> okay, that's a, sorry. That's who's got the cat? That's Vic in the background with the oh baby. Oh my god, that's, <laughs> that was so good. Oh my goodness, I wish I was muted for this. Oh, <laughs> that's so good. It was a cat. Oh. I thought Raj had a cat or Man, something. It's, it's all staying on. The bear in the paint, our residential medical expert, Rajan Walia. How are you feeling? You know what? I wish I had half the energy Josh had for this podcast. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> you got a lot more now after hearing that. That was exciting. <laughs> you know why? Yo, Josh has got a he's got a big boy job now. He's he's working regular hours. His baby's old enough to let him sleep through the night. This guy's got all the energy in the world. Yeah, I'm ready to go, baby. Let's go play some basketball, Raj. Still Yo, banging the paint. Oh, can I? Can I come? I'm still on Anytime a permanent injury uh, hiatus. Just call me Kawhi Leonard, you know. Um, just yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm uh, just resting. <laughs> permanent injury. <laughs> I'm doing the opposite of load management. Not even on the injury list. Yeah. It's just a permanent injury. Exactly. He retired himself. Rajan Walia, PI, <laughs> not a private investigator. My goodness, that's so sad, man. Um, okay, so the way we're going to do this is, I don't know, man, we miss a lot of time here, but I think we sort of have to talk about probably the most important news in the NBA over the past month and a half. Really the only thing that any other podcast has really talked about. So if you listen to like any of the Ringer ones, if you listen to any of them on ESPN, they were constantly talking about this Kevin Durant business. KD requests a trade from the Nets, then asked Joe Sy to fire Sean Marks and Steve Nash, the GM and the, the coach, who he approved, of course, only to have the only to come out a couple of weeks later through a uh, I don't know, a press release from the Nets and the boardroom, Kevin Durant's media company, saying that, you know, it's all gravy. We're going ahead. Everybody's happy. We're kumbaya. We're going to just go ahead forward with this team. I mean, thanks, KD, for a good amount of content over the past month and a half. But do we really need all the drama, Josh? Do we really need this weird cycle of, like, content? I don't know. It was kind of weird just to see it happen. But, hey, the Nets look like they're decent now. You know, there's that. On paper, yes. In the real world, probably <laughs> not. I mean, if they didn't have all these these issues and they just went out in the court with this roster, you would think, they, you know, it's a possibility they can actually get the one seed this year and be a real threat in the playoffs. And then you look at their actual team and the surrounding parts and everything that, you know, has gone into the last couple of years with this franchise and now bringing Ben Simmons as well and all of his issues. It's hard to really see them, you know, being able to do something great this upcoming season. But, you know, just in terms of the KD saga, it was all for nothing. I mean, the correlation, I guess, is like comparing him to what happened to Kobe in 2005, I think it was, when Kobe requested a trade and the Lakers are just like, nah, we're good. 
So I think yep. Brooklyn sort of did the same thing here because they knew that they weren't going to get the type of value they wanted back from him. They didn't. So you're not going to get a guy like Brandon Ingram and in picks for him. So what's the point? Just keep him on the team and pray for the best. What if, what if it was all just a giant ploy, Raj? Like they, they purposely slipped out the Jalen Brown name out there to try to destroy the, the Celtics locker room from inside. What if that was the whole idea behind this? Just, just setting bombs for other teams, you know? You know what? I would say it was clever if that was the case, but this is clearly just KD going rogue. Um, at some time at the end of July, you heard the rumblings and then you hear the rumors about getting Nash fired and Marks. And, and then three weeks later, they're going into the season, probably one of the favorites in the East and everything looks all rosy. And as Josh mentioned, you could have probably skipped the last three weeks and just ended up in the same spot. Um, the Nets on paper are good. It's like having uh, a lot of talent on your team, but like zero chemistry. And a lot of that chemistry issue has to do with their stars, like Kyrie, Ben Simmons, and KD. Can you name a trio of players that probably aren't the most well-liked in the media? They're not the most charismatic. Uh, they don't handle pressure that well. Um, they've run away from adversity. Like... This this is like the terrible trio, and they're just going to implode. And you know what? If the Yes Network, who covers the Nets, they're the probably the biggest winners in this because they'll just have more content to cover this season. Yeah, that part is definitely true. But, uh, you know, on the flip side, if you want to be a contrarian, Kyrie Irving is going into a contract season. Ben Simmons is coming off, obviously, the worst stretch of his career and a lot of stuff that's gone on off the court. Um, and they have a lot to prove. So who knows? Maybe it'll go in the way that none of us actually expect. And this whole project is actually going to work out this season. KD comes back. These guys have, you know, good chemistry the first, throughout the first 20 games. And maybe they actually have a shot of a top three seed. What I want to see from them this year, honestly, on the court, just talking about actual basketball, I want to see them start Ben Simmons at center. And then just go full Mike D'Antoni offense mm. and just try to outscore team Because they honestly have like an mm. amazing offensive lineup. Because I don't think you can play Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons together at the four and the five. No. So no. at that point, I guess, who else would they start besides Ben Simmons at the five? And just have Harris, Seth Curry, and Kyrie Irving all together and just bombs away. That's what I want to see this year from them. Oh, oh well, why wouldn't they just start DeAndre Jordan? <laughs> Oh, wait, isn't he on the Nuggets? Yes. Uh, shamefully, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the Nets, just like, uh, I think they're the this trio of stars. Like, most stars want to play in the limelight in the biggest venue with all the lights on them. I feel like Kyrie, KD, and Ben Simmons, if they had a choice, they would play with zero fans, zero televised games. That's how they'd want to play basketball and get paid, obviously, a lot of money. Like, clearly, they don't like the fan aspect of the game, the opinions, the analysis. Um, they just want to go hoop, collect their paycheck, and go home. Um, and I see Josh shaking his head, but, like, it's it's been shown. It's, like, time and time again, like, these players don't do well with the pressure of playing in front of fans and the expectations and managing all that. I don't know about KD. Oh, that's that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. You, you have the right <laughs> analogy. It's just like two of those guys would just rather stay home or be in the bleachers watching yeah. basketball while getting paid 
And then Kevin Durant would be out there working for free because he loves basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's just remind everybody that Ben Simmons just got paid $20 million by the 76ers to do shit all last year. Yeah, but I... To show up to practice with his phone in his pocket and wearing sweatpants. You know what I mean? Like, come on. But, but I'm going back to Kevin Durant. Like, I think he doesn't do well with the media side of things. The understanding that this is a form of entertainment. Like, obviously, he values the sport. He's a... He's an amazing player, both offensively, defensively, one of the top three in the league. Um, but I, I think him, like as an individual, he's just shown consistently in his career, and I don't think this is going to change. He just doesn't handle pressure that well, and a lot of the pressure comes from the external side of things, like the fans, the analysis. Like this guy's starting Twitter fights constantly, and like. You best believe after they lose in the first round or second round against a, a more like well-rounded team that he's going to pick up Backers. his phone and start. Yeah, sure. It, go uh, go where your heart desires, Josh. But um, you best believe he's just going to pick up his phone and start tweeting at random fans like, dude, like you're a professional. Like no one cares about the fan of uh, the opinion of like one singular fan in Oklahoma. Like let it go. See, I kind of like it. I like it. I like KD taking shots back at fans. I'm about it. Like you have to, you can't compare it to like older guys, right? Where they don't have to deal with fan interaction to this level. KD just likes being on his phone. He likes going on social media. Let him go on social. Who cares? As long as he's going to practice, he's going to work. But but whatever, man. I think it's affecting his performance. Like clearly, like no. Yeah. No, 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 no. What I do not think that random Joe Schmo in uh, like X state is affecting KD's performance on the court. I, I think having shitty teammates is affecting his performance I, on the court. I think the summation of all the pressure, whether it's from individual fans, like not individually themselves, but the summation of all that is causing him to go start chasing perfect scenarios where he just collects more rings because obviously the NBA landscape has changed that you're good as a player 50% your success as a team is now like winning championships is now a measure of how great of a player you are um so I, I definitely think KD could improve but yes enough Nets talk um I, I'm happy he's staying because I just would hate to see him chase another ring in Phoenix or uh, go to Miami or Philly I think that uh, Charles Barkley summed up this whole situation in the best way possible in saying that Kevin Durant is Mr. Miserable. No matter where he goes, eventually he's just going to want out because that's just who he is. He likes variety, man. Don't we all like a little variety in our lives? Yeah, Sometimes he, you want to again, eat different like, things, you know? He created this whole scenario and now he's <laughs> unhappy. Like, what are we doing here? That's like a kid asking for a bunch of presents for Christmas and the parents giving him the presents, everything they asked for, and then being like, I didn't want this Xbox. What is this? Yeah, no, What's the PS. The difference, the difference is that, well, not the difference, but the reasoning is that people don't know what they want, right? KD doesn't know how to be a GM. Look at how many times LeBron failed at being a GM before, uh, before a lot of the teams are just like, no, screw you. Like we're just gonna do whatever we have to do around you. So we just have to make it work. Hence the Russell Westbrook situation in LA, right? The GM is still failing his way in LA, and yet. We're going to blame KD for doing the same thing. KD is replicating everything LeBron did, except going home, obviously. But, I mean, it's similar situations, right? I wonder players, if in the some next, players just aren't uh, good GMs. 
I wonder if in the next CBA, they're going to turn it into like soccer. I heard recently that uh, it was Mbappe, I think got like a hundred million dollars a year. And then he also has in his contract, he has to choose the coach, the GM, personal trainers, and who gives out the popcorn in the stands. Is that right? Sounds about <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Good summation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they should do that for the NBA too. I mean, a lot of guys are already doing this, so might as well have them in their contract too. Yeah, KD's going to tell Ben Simmons to go serve popcorn in the stands. <laughs> At least he'll show up to work. I think Ben Simmons would definitely do that for $40 million a year, too. He'd probably choose that over playing basketball. Of course he would. Yo, for tw- yeah, for 20 mil, I'd do that. <laughs> Come on, man. Longevity. Yo, uh, finally, though, we get to see Ben Simmons back on the court. Just or saying. will we? Yeah, exactly. Oh, he'll play. Back injuries or no, something he'll play. else, man. It's all over, man. This whole thing was in his head. Now that he's paid out. He's going to be on the floor. He just started three-on-three workouts. If he's ready for the start of the year, I'll actually be surprised. I didn't say start of the year. He'll be ready by New Year's. Over or under 20 games played. Over. Mm. 23. Over. Michael Jordan 23. number. Oh, no, 24. 24 for Kobe, obviously. Doesn't Ben Simmons wear 21? It should be 21. Uh, does he wear 20? No, that's Embiid. That's Embiid, yeah. I don't even know what number you wear. Hey, I haven't seen him in the court in like two years. How am I supposed to remember that? <laughs> Let's see. Ben Simmons jersey number, number 10. Oh, there you go. Weird. He was 25 in Philly and now number 10 on Brooklyn. Yet, we haven't seen number 10, so who knows? Maybe he'll change. Yeah, Let's move who on. cares? <laughs> Let's move on. Um, an actual basketball move. The LA Lakers guys have brought in our favorite protagonist, antagonist, point guard, Patrick Beverly, who has called uh, Josh's point guard, Chris Paul, a cone for a former, uh, I guess, prospect, Lakers asset, Taylor Horton Tucker, and of course, our favorite Toronto Pro-Am player, Stanley Johnson. Uh, I mean, Raj... This just means that they got to get rid of Westbrook somehow, right? You can't have Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook on the same team. Yeah, I think the, the the point the Lakers were trying to do is they're trying to antagonize Russell Westbrook so bad that he hates even practicing, riding with the team, and he's just going to want out. That's probably the angle they're working at. Um, but uh, for now, obviously, Westbrook's on the team. I do think that the Lakers are going to try everything they can, attach a first-round draft pick, um and uh take on a few bad contracts to get Westbrook out of there. Um but yeah, interesting how they were unwilling to give up Taylor Horton Tucker uh last year and even the year before considered him uh a piece going forward and obviously the LeBron effect win now throw away your future um has kind of passed and I think the hype around Taylor Horton Tucker has passed as well. Like he's going to be a like fifth guy and fourth or fifth guy in a rotation. I don't think he's ever going to be a top three guy on an NBA franchise. And I think the Lakers saw that and decided to move on. Yeah, it's a good flyer though for uh, Utah for sure. Cause they don't really have, I mean, they're probably going to get rid of all their veterans by the start of the season. So Taylor Horton Tucker might actually end up being the star player. Um, so he'll have all the opportunity in the world to actually showcase what the Lakers thought he was at least. And, you know, sometimes you just got to throw guys in the fire and see if they come out of it. Um, but on the Lakers side of things, I do agree with Raj. I think that they're trying to somehow find 
creative ways to get Russell Westbrook out of town. And I think ultimately, I think he's going to get bought out unless the Lakers, um, it's been reported recently that they're going to be a part of the potential Donovan Mitchell trade where they would give away their two first round picks and Westbrook in a deal and try to get some value back for that. Whether that's with New York getting Randall back potentially, or, um, you know, the Indiana guys with um, Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. So I think ultimately it's going to be one of those two options. I think that I'm more so leaning towards him getting bought out. I can't ever see him and Patrick Beverly practicing on the same floor together on the same team. I've seen it once. I need a couple of practices of those two going at each other. You know what I mean? Who's their coach now? Darvin Ham. Darvin Ham's out there telling them to go at each other. This is for, like, you guys play a one-on-one for the starting position. I mean, that'd be great content. Imagine that. Yeah, but you would Beverly want them both to be healthy. Yeah, I'm going to say, you want them both to be healthy come the start of the year. And if you put those two in the same practice going one-on-one for a starting spot, Ooh. guys might get injured, honestly. <laughs> but there's some dogs out there, man. That's what you want. Some real dogs in practice. Not like AD's a real dog out there. Come on. You need somebody with some, some heat. Yeah, two not, rabbit Beverly dogs going after a ham sandwich. <laughs> yeah, man, that'd be great. That's exactly what we need. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think it'll be interesting if that actually does happen to where we get to training camp and both guys are actually on the team. I think that would actually be, you know, one of the biggest storylines in the NBA to see if, <laughs> A, they get along, which they're, they can't. There's a 10-minute compilation video that I watched yesterday <laughs> on all the stuff, that all the beef that they have had over the years, starting with, you know, Beverly destroying his ACL. Um, and then <laughs> he jumped into his ACL like two years later to – so I just can't see how those two guys can be in a locker room together. It just makes no sense to me. What a it's what a dirty guy, man. It's the ultimate <laughs> yeah. it's the ultimate Jesus. ploy though. It's like, how do we get Westbrook off our team? And uh they're like, well, who's the player he hates the most? Right? It's like they can't get Chris Paul, so uh, they might as well go for can't get Patrick Kevin Beverly. Durant either. <laughs> exactly. All right, well, I think we've done that enough. Can we move on? Um I wanna know what you guys are looking forward to for the year, right? Like is it a storyline? Is it a team? Is it a player that just got your attention to start the year and like something that'll last? Um, Raj, like what's what's got you interested for the start of the year? I, I think it has to be the other LA team that uh, often is overshadowed the Clippers. Uh, last year, uh, there was obviously with Kawhi and Paul George not being healthy, it was kind of an off year for them. But this year, they're in a really unique situation. Obviously, Kawhi's getting up there in age. Uh, they have a small window to win. They have a lot of... They basically have like half the wings in the NBA uh, right now. And um, they probably are a little short on guard depth and up front uh, at the center position. But I, I'm really curious to see how desperate they get. Obviously, they have uh, Kawhi, Paul George, uh, Covington, Norman Powell, Terrence Mann... Uh, Luke Kennard, Reggie Jackson, Zubac. Like, they have very good players. Batum as well, who ended up re-signing, I believe, this year. Um, so they have a lot of players. I, I think a lot of the players end up overlapping in terms of skill and ability and what they do on the court. So I, I think this Clippers team is going to be very aggressive, um, trying to look for one more piece, whether it's a, a more solidified... Oh, they also have Marcus Morris. Like, they just have so many 
pieces that probably do the same thing. And I think they're going to look to make a, a big trade um, or make an acquisition this year because their window's small. Like, I don't think they're looking at past two years. And this is probably the year that they need to win a championship or this whole Kawhi Paul George um, pairing has been kind of a disappointment given the injuries. Um, so that's my big storyline this year. I think uh, if they do it right, they'll probably be um, the favorites out of the uh, Western Conference bearing any major injuries. But you never know with Kawhi. Yeah, I think the reason why they brought all these guys back, um, even a guy like Amir Coffey, right? Like he actually played pretty well in his limited time last year. They have, like you said, 10 wings and they only have one big guy with Zubach. So I think the trade that they might be looking to make is getting a backup big guy just in case something happens to Zubac or they play Nikola Jokic in the playoffs. They need more size than that. Because I think throughout the course of the regular season, they're going to be very strategic in terms of what they do with, um, you know, planning out when Paul George and Kawhi play. Because, you know, we saw last year when Paul George was injured, they were still, you know, treading water. They were still doing okay. Um, so if you can get one of those guys in the lineup almost at all times, and, you know, have them play 60-ish games with the amount of depth that they have, they'll be fine. Like, they'll still be a top five, probably a top four seed. And then come playoff time, if you go in there healthy, who would you have over them? It would be tough because they got John Wall too now, right? So it's going to be interesting to see which guy actually starts the point guard position. That's what I'm looking forward to the most with this team, you know, in terms of like the storylines, um, like the small storylines aside, the bigger storyline. Uh, with the Clippers, because I think Reggie Jackson actually fits better in terms of being a starter with these guys, being a spot-up shooter, the guy that can play off the ball. And then John Wall can come off the bench and just go, you know, do John Wall things. Just go 94 feet as quick as he can, play with all the wings, and just make an up-tempo type of game um, when the bench guys come in. I mean, haven't you seen all these John Wall videos, Josh? John Wall shooting set shots these days, you know? Yeah, because we know from Hoodie Mellow videos in the past few years that that means a ton. <laughs> Hoodie, Hoodie Mellow. Mellow can shoot. Why don't we talk about Ben Simmons? <laughs> yeah, shooting threes. True. <laughs> ben Simmons a much better example here. Mellow can actually shoot. He might not be you know, a, a, like an efficient shooter, but he can shoot. If Mellow was a really great businessman, he would have actually worn the hoodie during an NBA game and then sold that specific hoodie to the millions of kids that would just be all over the meme. That's what he should have done. Because nobody else wears a hoodie in the NBA. He could have been the first guy to do that. And just take the fine? (laughs) (laughs) Is there a fine associated with that? It's probably an equipment. Yeah, of course. There's dress code, man. If he wore it underneath his jersey? You can't wear a hoodie. Why not? (laughs) come on man find the rule find the rule this isn't your sunday runs josh yeah (laughs) like come on although it is getting absurd he's made so much money over the course of his career he can pay a little fine it's not a big deal yeah like what you should have said is just pay the 50k for it and assume that you make more would it be that much though i mean is there a rule out there it's probably like a gray area just do it no they they probably just wouldn't let him check in realistically (laughs) You know what yeah. I mean? Like the ref just wouldn't let it happen. Come on, man. I mean, That's honestly, if he works. just if he just did that, he would have made so much money regardless. If he just walked to the scores table with his hoodie on, and the referees were like, "Yeah, you can't wear that." That clip would have went viral, and then he could have sold a gazillion of those. And he's like, "Mellow, can you uh, 
Mellow, can you take your warm-ups off, please? <laughs> you still got your warm-ups on. He's like, on, warm-ups? Man. This is my gear. <laughs> Come on, man. Do you remember, yo, do you remember in the 90s there was a player who wore a do-rag onto the court? Really? Yeah. Do-rag NBA. There was Darius a dude Miles? who wore a do-rag. Uh, no, it was... um. I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out afterwards. But, yeah, there was somebody who did it, like, in the earlier mid-90s. This feels no like Darius Miles. Yeah, no, it definitely before sounds... D-Miles. Or Quintel But anyways, man, the Clippers, the Clippers are going to be great as long as... You know, the usual talk around the Clippers, right? As long as Paul George and Kawhi can be healthy, then everything will be good. Zubac is going to get better as years go on, and he's effective doing what Zubac always does. John Wall should be fun and entertaining for this team, assuming that he's fully healthy, which he's been saying for the past year and a half that he is. Reggie Jackson obviously fits. Yo, Reggie Jackson, low-key, fits very well with these two and might uh, have some big-ass cojones in there. So between those four, you have three guys who have proven playoff track records. That's a that's a championship contender, man. Assuming that health is all there, plus Marcus Morris Senior. I forgot the senior part. Of course, <laughs> not to be confused. Honestly, like John Wall might have the year that Al Horford just had because Al Horford sat out for like a year, just resting at home, chilling. So why can't John Wall do it this year? He just needs to buy into it, right? Yeah, I also think it depends if he's a starter or not. Like, if he's playing off the bench and he's playing, like, 25 minutes a game, I think he'll be more likely to play more than 60 games. So, um, we'll, we'll see. I, I think the Clippers are the big question mark in the Western Conference. Because, uh, again, last year they had an off year. We don't really know what to expect. But they have the pieces. They have the talent. They have the capability to make trades. Um and they have good management, kind of basically the opposite of what the Lakers have. Um, by the way, Sam Perkins is who I'm talking about. Really? Yeah, we're a do-rag. I think it was like 97. Yeah. Straight up. Gangster shit. And was he fine for that? Probably. Hmm. I don't know, man. I, I didn't look that deep into it, okay? I googled images, <laughs> do-rag, and NBA, and saw Sam Perkins. And I know the picture. <laughs> That's all I got for you. I just see a real marketing opportunity for Melo, and he definitely missed out on it. It's okay, man. It'll happen soon enough. Yo, Melo needs to get signed. Maybe the Clippers can sign Melo, too. Oh, Melo's going back to New York. Once Donovan Mitchell trade happens, uh, Melo's going to New York. Mark it down. Why? Why do you say that? He's going to go back to where he had not the most success, but where he was most happy. Yeah, I was going to say most success was definitely in Denver. It's, For sure. And they're not taking him. That's a shame. No, definitely not. All right. Uh, let's move on. Josh, give me your team. Give me your player, your storyline. Like, what do you, what's piqued your interest this year? For me, it has to be the return of Zion Williamson and the New Orleans Pelicans. So Ooh. last year, the Pelicans were 19th in team offensive efficiency and on defense they were 20th and despite that they were the eighth seed and i think this year they're coming back obviously even stronger getting a player like zion to come back in the fold who could potentially be a top 10 player in the nba as soon as next year and they have a ton of depth like the clippers right they have a lot of guys that can play on this roster and even a guy like you know Devonte graham he's going to be like an 11th 12th man this year 
um, getting paid $10 million a year because this team has had a lot of guys that have surprised uh, in the past year with Jose Alvarado. Um, they have Trey Murphy, who was a rookie last year, showed a lot of promise. And this team just has a lot of really good players. But for them, what I'm most interested in is how everything is going to work, especially on offense, when you have so many guys that can put the ball in the hole. And Brandon Ingram and Zion haven't really worked well together so far in the limited sample size that they have had. But now they have an entire season to work it out. And C.J. McCollum might have to take a back seat to that. But you would think that their offense is going to be one of the best in the NBA. And if their defense can be somewhat decent in the 15 to 20 range, I think that this team could potentially be a top four seed in the Western Conference this year. Whoa! I think that, I mean, they were the eighth seed last year without Zion, right? And they had a really good playoff run. So why not? Were they eighth seed last year? They were. No, they, yep. they made their way into the play-in game. They weren't eighth seed. Well, that's the eighth seed, right? No, they finished ninth. But yeah. they, they made the playoffs. It's the eighth seed. Okay, 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 fine, fine, fine. We'll, we'll allow it, but let's... Whatever. Let's clarify <laughs> this time, Josh. No, nah, man. Um, hold on. Firstly, before we start off with CJ McCollum having to take a backseat to these guys... How is it going to work in this front court with Jonas Valanciunas, uh, Zion Williamson, and Brendan Ingram? One, Jonas and Zion has to be like the biggest front court left in the league, like width wise, right? There's no other combination that's bigger than that. But secondly, and definitely weight wise as well. Definitely weight wise as well. My bad. Yeah, definitely weight wise for sure. Zion alone is bigger than half the league. Um, but yeah, like, how's that going to work with the three of them together? And none of them are really like defensive players either, to be frank. How do you really work with that, Josh? Like, what, what the hell is Willie Green going to do with that combination? Play a lot of zone defense, maybe, but honestly, like, <laughs> I sort of see them as, you know, Memphis of last year, um, to where Memphis had a bit of a jump from the year before, right? So they made the playoffs. They won one game in the playoffs. New Orleans won two. Um, and I think that this year, New Orleans is going to have the same sort of jump. I think that they're going to be a top four seed. And much like Memphis, they're going to have maybe the highest um, percentage of offensive rebounds in the NBA. Maybe in the history of the NBA with those two guys in the front court, if they actually play at least 65 games together. Because this, this team actually plays a lot in the mid-range too. And where do mid-range shots go, right? The rebounds often go within the paint area, whereas three-point shots are long rebounds. And I think that those two guys are just going to feast inside. Even though they may play no defense, this team is going to be very fun to watch because they're going to score a lot of points. (laughs) Oh, man. And then where does our boy Herbert Jones go? He's going to start for them for sure. At the two? I mean, you could put any, like, well, like well, positions don't really matter, right? Like they have enough shooting with Bi and CJ McCollum, and Zion will take your occasional three. Same with Jonas. Herbert Jones is actually pretty decent in the second half of the year. Hold on, hold on. Did you just say Zion's going to take three? Occasional, occasional. <laughs> it's funny because it's funny because it wasn't JV. Yeah, JV led the league at one point three point percentage last year. Man, let's just all remember <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can't disrespect. Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't matter in how many attempts, but oh, Zion Williamson attempting threes? My God. 
Ugh. We were talking about like pretty the, jump shots the, earlier. This, we were talking about one of the uglier jump shots in the league. This team reminds me a lot of the Milwaukee Bucks in a weird comparison. Um, like with Brooke Lopez being like JV, obviously for Giannis being like Zion potentially. Not in terms of the way they play, but in terms of like responsibility and how the team is built. Then they have their mid-range assassin in Brandon Ingram. Obviously the Bucks had uh, or still have Chris Middleton. Um, and then you have... Now, C.J. McCollum, who's going to take that more veteran role, uh, maybe the closer and Drew Holiday. And um, I guess if you're looking at last year's Bucks, like the year before, they had P.J. Washington. Oh, sorry, P.J. Tucker. Um, and that's going to be Herb Jones. Like, I see that kind of similarity. I think J.V. will probably have to adapt his game to to play a little more outside um, and end up playing a little nah. farther away from the rim um, because you don't want to be... <laughs> And he, I don't think he'll play more than 20 minutes uh, a game, to be honest. Like, I, I think he'll tap out around 20, Are you crazy? two minutes a game. You think JV is going to play 22 minutes a game on this? Are you nuts? This feels like a bet. I think we have our first bet of the year. <laughs> All right, let's go. I I think he'll average. I, I would say he'd average under 22 minutes a game. I will put my entire house mortgage down on that. I don't care. I'm good. I'll take that bet all day, every day. <laughs> Josh is bet like, yeah, can you, uh, if I win, can you take on my debt, please? <laughs> if I lose, you can take my debt, no problem. Be careful. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. I have more debt than you, so. I mean, you have to factor in Zion minutes, into this, eh? right? Like, if Zion doesn't play in a lot of games, or if he plays in 60 games, who's going to take over those minutes as the big man in the court? JV. And JV played like 30 plus minutes a game last year, right? Yeah, sure. Of course he's going to average more than 22 minutes a game. Come on, man. Come on. He's going to get over 22. 22 no, is low, Raj. I, I, I would say fine. 22 when no. Zion is held there. Like 22 no. minutes when Zion's in the no. lineup. 22 is less than half the game? Yeah, like I, I, I think especially the way that they're going to want to play, they have they have some depth in the front court as well. It's not like they have no one else besides JV. We're not looking at a Zubach situation here. Um, I, I think they're going to try to gear up for the playoffs, um, and I, I think JV is going to be their starter. Um, probably play super aggressive, give him the ball early, get him involved, and then late in the game, the fourth court, I don't, I expect JV to get like three or four minutes. Max I mean, that's fine, but I still think he's going to play a lot in the first three quarters. Like, he's got through that before with Wayne Casey, where Casey would play him 25 to 30 minutes a game, and then just not play him in the fourth quarter. Fine. If you want to play Zion at center, you can go super small. You could try it, see if it's going to work, see if he'll try on defense this year. I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, but we'll see. But either way, like, this team has a lot of offensive firepower, and it's not going to take that much of a jump for them on really either side of the ball for them to just take a step up in the standings. Just a matter of health, honestly, which is a case with a lot of teams. But I think this team is like one of the more talented teams in the Western Conference right now. I think it's mostly a question of how Zion fits in with this team, right? Like, like we, like you said the whole time last year after that CJ McCollum trade, you gave him about a week, and then once CJ took over the reins of being the primary leader on this team, like you saw a major difference in their performance in the second half of the season, right? And as we talked about, not just winning the the play-in tournament to get the playoff spot, but going toe-to-toe with the Suns for a few games. 
was the Suns, right? Yep. In the first round. Yep. Like, it got to the point where Chris Paul, sorry, Josh, to like rattle you again, but Chris Paul looked not like fully rattled, but he was like uncomfortable out there with this New Orleans defense. Not saying that he was like shook, not saying that he was dominated, but he was like, damn, like, I thought it was going to be a cakewalk. And I actually second guess myself. I got to take things a little bit slower now. I got to give up the ball because this dude keeps running up on me, like full court pressing in the second quarter. It's a little stuff like that that actually goes a long way for a team. So I just want to point I, out I think he the went real 14 for, for 14 is, in game six, but go on. Whatever, whatever. It <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter, Josh. That's not the point of this. Where was he in game seven, though? <laughs> there was no game seven. No, not in that series. No, he had COVID. Whatever, it's fine. That's not fine. Oh, but okay. Whatever. Also, playing when he had COVID. Come on, man. <laughs> the entire <laughs> team apparently did. That was I'm, important. I'm that so was glad that. the NBA takes this COVID oh, thing how so convenient. seriously nowadays. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, Spain's the real question is how Zion fits in, right? Like, will he get in Brendan? I think you're way? looking at it from the wrong I way. Think I think so. they have to fit in with Zion. No. No, the team Zion is, a... is an offense all to himself, right? Like you got to fit around him. The guys around him have to change their games or change their roles in order to fit around him. You're telling me CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram need to accommodate for Zion? Yes. Zion Williamson averaged 27 and 7 on 60% from the field when he was healthy. So yes, absolutely. He's one of the best offensive players in the league when he's healthy. Only until he's hurt again, man. I don't think it, Well, that's fine, but, but you know, but, while he's actually healthy, the offense is going to revolve around him. And CJ is used to playing off players. Like he's used to playing off Dame, so I think he'll be fine. But Dame more so the like ball. Brandon Ingram. Dame passed yeah. the ball, man. It's different when you have I mean, someone that's ball dominant as Zion, though. Zion's a good passer, though. If they actually use him correctly, like I can definitely see him averaging like 25, 7, and 5 at least, right? Is that what your fantasy prediction is for Zion this year? 25-7-5? Definitely possible. Might just play one game, but it's definitely <laughs> possible. Oh, man. That's, that's sad. Ah, all right. I'll allow it, but I'm, I'm, I still think that it's a, it's a two-way street with this one. Like He's got to learn to fit in with this team because they had success last year. If they were like shit last year after the CJ McCollum trade... Then I would say, yeah, they got to build everything around Zion, that blah, blah, blah. But because they had that success, because they got to the playoffs and actually performed in the first round, it goes. it's a two-way street. Zion's got to work with these guys at the same time. I completely disagree. It's a team they sport, They were the seed last year. That's great. They made the playoffs. They won two games. But when you bring a player like Zion into the fold, you got to adjust around him. So I think the biggest adjustment is not going to be CJ. It's going to be Brandon Ingram. I think 100%. that he's really going to have to take more spot-up shots, make quicker decisions, not hold the ball as much, which he did better in the playoffs, honestly. So as he matures more, I think that as long as he accepts being the second guy in this team, this team can really go places. Yeah, it's going to be a 1A, 1B. But on a side note, have you seen Brandon Ingram and his midlife crisis look? <laughs> like, I don't know if he's too happy about being second fiddle. I feel like he's... Uh, like uh, just trying to live, live his life and trying to sneak into the stadium. It looks like uh, no, man. that's his situation no, right he's now. In the it lab. Doesn't look like he's too happy about that. He's in the lab, Raj. Don't don't hate on the guy. He's lab probably working. has no lights or mirrors, man. <laughs> yeah, what kind of lab is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's just working. He's in his own bubble. 
Remember in the bubble when no players shaved or had their hair cut? I.e. just Jimmy Butler. Everyone else was clean shaven. But, you know, sometimes you just gotta gotta work on your shit. Brandon Ingram in the lab, man. Alright, uh, can we move on? Because I want to go ahead and talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves real quick. Obviously with the acquisition of Rudy Gobert and... That's pretty much it. Rudy Gobert coming to the Timberwolves and... Uh, Hey, they got your boy Austin Rivers too. Yeah, so Rudy don't Gobert forget. coming to the Timberwolves. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, man. I just want to know what you guys think about this because I'm like I'm fifty fifty on it right now. I think that if they get to the second, uh, second round of the playoffs, it's like a major win for the organization. They haven't been there yet, aside from the KG single year that they had with KG. So that's like the equivalent of them winning a championship in my mind, but. I could also see this going terribly and it just like, you know, Rudy Gobert not fitting in with Cat at the same time. This Twin Towers experiment is just going to crumble, pardon the pun, um, but, you know, it just goes to hell from there. So I don't know. What do you guys think, Raj? Like, how, how do you feel about this Rudy Gobert situation? You know what? I, I think this is... It's going to be comical, I think. It's either going to work out very poorly and we're going to be like, what were they thinking? Or it's going to work out somehow surprisingly well and we're going to be like, how were they thinking that? Um, I think the idea is that very few teams play with a traditional center to begin with. And now they have like almost one and a half, two traditional centers. Like Minnesota can play extremely tall, um, kind of how New Orleans did when they had Cousins and Anthony Davis. Um, and I think they looked at that amount of success in the brief period they had together and are trying to hope they're hoping to replicate it. Um, they have good players individually, but again, I, I just think they don't have enough wing depth. Um, obviously it'd be very interesting if they ended up doing a lineup of like Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell in the backcourt, and then just like Nas Reed, Gobert and Cat, <laughs> like something crazy like that would be hilarious, but um, I, I think the, the issue is, uh, they kind of gutted away their team a little, uh, and some of the depth, some of the young players they had, the future draft, oh my God, draft picks. Um, and I don't know if this experiment's going to work. I'm actually probably more like 30% it works, 70% it fails, and we don't get, uh, what we were expecting. I am the complete opposite end of that. The Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be the number one seed in the Western Conference this year. That is my prediction. Rudy Gobert is a floor raiser in the regular season. He's an automatic top 10 defense. And Minnesota's offense was pretty damn good last year. And they're bringing in a guy that, you know, is a phenomenal pick and roll player um, in terms of being able to get his guards open. He obviously leads the league in screen assists. I know everyone loves to hear that. Um, but he gets his guys open and he's a factor when he rolls to the basket, he opens up things on the perimeter. And the biggest thing is Minnesota has something that Utah just never had. They have wing players who can actually play defense. So they don't have to funnel everything into Rudy on, on defense. They have McDaniels, they have Anthony Edwards. They got guys off the bench like Prince. Um, and they just, they have a complete lineup for the regular season playoff time. Totally different story. But regular season-wise, they have a good offense, and Rudy Gobert is a top-10 defense by himself. And they can fool around with the lineups. And honestly, like the biggest thing with this is I trust Chris Finch as a head coach to make this work. 
He's a smart guy. He did a lot of good things for Timberwolves last year. With if you look at their lineup, like they they didn't really have that great of a lineup, and he still got them in the playoffs as a seventh seed, right? So adding Rudy Gobert to that, I can only see them moving way up in the standings. And let me read off their first few games for you, if you don't mind. So <laughs> start the regular season. Oklahoma City Thunder, Utah Jazz, Oklahoma City Thunder, San Antonio Spurs, San Antonio Spurs, Los Angeles Lakers, San Antonio Spurs. That is all their games in October. Yes, they are going to get off to probably an undefeated start. Whoa. Then they have Phoenix and Milwaukee. And then they have Houston, New York, Phoenix. So the lineup gets, you know, their schedule gets a little bit worse after that. But to start off the year, they're going to be the number one seed. And that's going to stay that way throughout the course of the regular season. Well, the NBA is just setting this up for them to be the top dog. That's insane. That's like nine or 10. Give them. Holy crap. How do you play that many tanking oh, yeah. teams at once, consecutively? A Rod paid him off. A Rod paid him off. Got that new money. I forgot that uh, that they got new ownership now. Man, the Wolves are looking pretty tight. Indeed. I mean, I uh, I don't know. I think I told you guys this before, but uh, I'm also in the camp of the Wolves doing very well this year during the season, and honestly, in the playoffs too. I think Rudy can get them to the second round, assuming that you know. Cat uh, helps them out on defense just a little bit. I just need Cat to play a little bit more defense, Josh. You know, I don't need uh, I don't need Ghost Cat. I just think the issue with the Timberwolves is their lateral quickness. I think teams like obviously in the right matchup, um, they could be a very tough out. But also they, if they play the Clippers, the Clippers are like the complete opposite of what Mini is doing, and I think that could cause them a lot of problems. So again. Uh, could they make it out of the first round? Absolutely. I Do I think there will be a playoff team? Yes. Do I think it's going to succeed as well as Josh thinks with them being number one? No. I think, uh, again, I, I, I just have my doubts around some of those players on that team. And I, no disrespect to Chris Finch or anything like that. It's just I think their roster is a bit funky. And uh, Rudy will improve their defense. But I don't know how far that's going to get. Them. To be honest, the one seed isn't out of the question because Memphis isn't going to get it. They're injured. Phoenix is not going to go after the one seed again after how poorly uh, the playoffs went last year. Neither the, are the Clippers. The Clippers, yeah, the Clippers no. are going to rest. The Warriors probably won't care because they literally just won the championship. So, like, what's it to them? The real teams that are going to go for the one seed are like the Mavericks, the Timberwolves, and the Nuggets. The Nuggets. That's pretty much it. The Pelicans aren't going to get there. Oh, don't They're... forget the Pelicans. <laughs> <laughs> Relax. That's true. <laughs> no, the Pelicans are not going to get the one seed. Zion's going to play like 20 games. <laughs> he'll average 25, 7, and 5 in those 20 yeah. games, but he'll play 20 games. Uh, How about this? Over, under, Zion games, 50. Over. Mm. Mm. I'm hit the Is Zion healthy to start the year? Unknown? He is right now, apparently. They say that he's going to start? Allegedly. Uh, if he does, then... Uh, oh, 50. I'll give him the over on that. I think it'll be around 55 to 60 games. If he's... we got to have an over-under podcast. Yeah, I'm no, down. We will. Yeah, maybe next week. No, we will. Minnesota, over. Way over. What are they Whatever the amount is, I'm going over. Yeah, I, I, I agree. All right. That's enough of that. Josh, can you give me some stats corner, please? (laughs) 
So I have a lot of stats for you today, depending on how many you want to do. So we'll start off with um, the highest field goal percentage on attempts with zero to four seconds left on the shot clock. So the guys that shoot the grenades the best in the NBA last season. Ooh, last season? And no minimum number of attempts or how many? There's no minimum, apparently. Jokic. That should give you a clue. Not on the list. Oh, disrespect. It's the top players in the NBA, so you're on the right track. KD. Number five at 46%. Joel. Not on the list. Jesus. Apparently not my top players. I'm going to say Chris Paul. Chris Paul is not on the list. He's actually in the lowest field goal percentage on attempts at zero to four seconds on the shot. Uh, I should have known. 27%. Whoa, 27? Jesus. Uh, Rick City. (laughs) Is Tatum on this list? Tatum is not on the list. One of these guys came back from a two-year hiatus. Clay? Clay Thompson, 53%. Going back to minimum attempts. He probably didn't take that money. Yeah. Uh, This guy is considered to be probably the best player in the NBA. Giannis? Steph Curry. Not Steph Curry. Giannis is at 49%. Nice. And number one is probably the best shot creator as a guard in the NBA. For himself? Shot creator. Correct. Book? It should be Kyrie. easy. Kyrie Irving, yeah. 54%. And the last guy in the top five is from a team that we talked about. He is a guard that needs to do some adjusting this year. Oh, CJ, CJ McCollum. That is correct nice. at 48%. Wow. Very nice. Um, He's an underappreciated player. 100%. Sure. Offensively. Yes. He's very good, for sure. Still underappreciated. Yeah. All right, so I'll give you guys three guesses at this. They have this new metric called DPS, which is basically like a negative defensive stat. So in terms of the most negative defenders in the NBA that qualified in 2021, 2022, who would you guess are the worst defenders in the NBA? And all these guys are guards. You want to start with this one, Rush? I, I like defense, Peter. I, I'm going to go oh. for team no defense for you. Oh, Trey Young, baby. Trey Young, number one. <laughs> yeah, by far. Uh, let's see. Who's an awful, awful defensive team? You basically just got to look at what teams are awful on defense okay, and about, then, you know, work backwards. How about Jordan Clarkson? Hmm. Clarkson is not on the list. I can give you the teams if you'd like. It might make it easier. Jalen Green. There you go. Number two. Boom. Wow. Peter knows all the non-defensive <laughs> I know players. My like, oh, that's a nice non-defensive player. Uh, he has a man, teammate right. who you would not expect on here. But because he was on the floor with Jalen Green so often, I'm sure that's why he's on there. KPJ? No. Guy you wouldn't expect. (laughs) Sorry. My bad. Who was on Houston last year? Eric Gordon? There you go. Number five. Wow. Jeez. Okay. And then you have a tanking team from last year. um, Portland Trailblazers. Oh. Simons? Simons is number three. Wow. 
And then you have a player who got traded last year, I believe, and he's on Indiana. Buddy. He's always been known as a bad defender. Buddy healed. There you go. <laughs> Buddy, my real age is unknown healed. Uh, yeah, that's a that's Peter's dream starting five right there. <laughs> Get shots up, baby. It's a numbers game. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we can do one more if you'd like. Yeah. I have a lot more stats we can go into next that's... podcast, but we'll go into the last one here. Um, most field goals attempted in the paint, but not in the restricted area. So this is like floater range in terms of super close floaters and those little close range flip shots. Yeah. Can you name any of the top five? And this can be guards or big men. All right. Mike Connolly. No, he's not on the list anymore. I think he used to be, but not anymore. He's he more of a be, three point shooter now. He used to be one of the most uh, effective. Is Donovan on this? He's Donovan not. Well, Donovan saw a lot of threes last year. I wasn't sure if he would go inside at all. Hmm. Pascal Siakam. There you go. Pascal nice. Siakam, 6.5. He shot 50% on those. He's number two on the list. Not bad. KD? KD's number seven at five per game at 51%. Think about the guards that get in the paint the most. Oh, D'Angelo Russell. Floater King. Nope, not on the list. <laughs> That's a shame. Uh, guards that get in the paint, huh? Number one should be obvious. Apparently not. Luca? He rose up to superstardom. Well, Luca's in there too. He's number three. Oh. Number one is a guy who rose to superstardom last year in you know the media's eyes, even though he was a superstar before that anyway. Ah, uh, jaw. Yeah, jaw. Seven attempts per game, forty-three percent. And then you have maybe. The most underrated guard in the NBA who is in, on a team that just is going nowhere every uh, year. Malachi Flynn, very underrated. Oh, yeah, very funny. <laughs> yeah, I love Malachi. Maybe in the Pro-Am. Malachi is nice. Uh, underrated on a team going nowhere. Hmm. They tank every year. O'Shea. Yes, SGA, 5.7 attempts a game, 50, uh, 44%, sorry. Canadian and the last guard had a um, one of his big guys traded off of his team. And after the new big guy came in, he absolutely dominated. Even though his team sucked. There you go. De'Aaron Fox, 5.8 attempts, 46%. Um, very nice. Good stats corner, Josh. Uh, sorry, quickly before we end this. How shit is that Chet Holmgren injury for OKC? Mainly because of Shea. Because Shea's going to have to tank another year, and this just sucks, man. It just Shea's sucks out. to see it. I think Shea wants out this year now. Like, this is I it. Agree. Like, you can't, you can't be that young and just not play. And, like, he's he's ruining his future earning potential yeah. by not playing. Like, he's killing it for Team Canada. Obviously, it's not the same type of competition, but, like, holy shit, man. Shea is nice. Yeah, like he's out this year. Ooh. He's going to be traded he, unless they give him like five years, like two hundred and twenty million or something. Or they just so have to let got him that. play. Yeah, he's already got the max, mm-hmm. but they just got to let him play, man. Just stop sitting the guy so much in the latter half of the year. Just let him no, run. Like as a team, Jesus. they're going to have to make a decision because they're probably going to be the bottom five regardless. So Shea playing at the end of the year is not going to make a difference. Yeah. So if they want to play in the bottom three, then 
they might have to make the hard decision to trade him because, as you mentioned, like he's not going to want another year where they have this BS injury. He doesn't play for twenty to thirty, you know, games at the end of the year. Yeah. So they're gonna have to decide what they want to do. Yeah. All right, man. Let's hope that uh, Shea plays this year, and let's hope that we can do this more often, guys. Let's get back. Season's coming up real We're quick. Back, baby. Every week now. Tune in. Let's go. <laughs> I love the energy, man. This guy. Can you bring the energy every week? Jesus Christ. Oh, I do. I'm trying to bring Raj up a little bit. Bring right the hot now. sauce. Raise bring the up the roof. salami and cheese. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify, or on all the major podcast platforms. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at Hoops Corner Pod. And until next time, peace. We're back.